Super Talk Mississippi media production. In Mississippi, with our ever-changing weather, termites and household pests can disrupt your family life and take a toll on your home. Call Family Termite and let us help protect your home. 601-933-1014. Or reach us at www.family-termite.com. What's up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Vorky coming at you a little later than usual today. Uh, but we appreciate you hanging out, stopping by. Uh, that would be my fault. We were supposed to record earlier this morning, but I had something come up. And so we're hitting about, what, 1045 on Monday morning. A uh, lot to get to today. A packed show. We, uh, we've got a wild weekend of NFL divisional games. I think if you followed Greg, I think he went 3-1. and one. I think his only mess up was he had Seattle money line and didn't take the points. And if you got the thing at four and a half, uh, you got kind of job there because the Seahawks had to go for two at the end of the game or towards the end of the game. But a uh, pretty strong weekend for Greg there. So we'll go through all those games. Ole Miss lost a basketball game and are kind of setting up for a pretty dramatic downward spiral unless they rectify things pretty soon. We'll get into that. Ole Miss has a new coaching hire. So there's one more position on the staff left to be filled. We'll get to that some too. Bunch to get to. I don't even know where to start. What's up? Well, we can start with the national championship, I guess. The funniest oh, thing. Oh, yeah. I didn't even mention that. We got that going on, too. Yeah. And it's just incredible, Rippy. This is going to blow your mind. There are a ton of LSU fans in New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, saw. Like these. <laughs> I tweeted about it yesterday. These sports writers are like showing videos of. LSU getting on their team bus to go to practice, and there's a bunch of LSU fans around, and they're like, oh, wow, this is incredible. Look at all these LSU fans. It's like, dude, they live there. Of course, there are Louisiana State University fans in the biggest city in the state of Louisiana. Like, what the hell? Why are you people surprised by this? That'd be like the title game being in Atlanta and being surprised that there's Georgia fans everywhere. So, uh, yeah, I saw this yesterday, and I was kind of thinking about it. I guess I, I probably saw, I saw one of your, or a couple of your tweets about it, but I, I, I couldn't help but laugh because it's like, so, like, I don't, like, normally, like, like, I enjoy watching games from the comfort of my home. Like, I, I don't like the big crowds. I would rather the TV viewing experience is much better to me. Like, but yada, 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 I don't like crowds in general. You get my point. But. It does feel like it's just one big party down there. And in any other world, I would have zero interest in going to this game. I say zero interest. If someone was like, hey, here's free tickets, of course I'd go. But like making an effort to go to this game and spend money. But this might be an exception because it looks like a hell of a lot of fun and one gigantic party. It's going to be hopefully an incredible game. And I think that's what you're seeing from from these uh, from most people in our industry that it's like, hey, this is one badass party. I just want to document that I'm here. Like, it's almost like all the sports media has turned into millennials and they're just documenting that they're there and their version of documenting it is all the drunk LSU fans in the street. <laughs> oh, man, that would be so much fun to be down there for that. Like, even though the stadium's dated, I was listening to a podcast, I think it was Thursday of last week, that we're talking about how they're worried that championship games and the Super Bowl won't be in New Orleans anymore because all these other cities are building these big stadiums and stuff like L.A. and Vegas, and they'll get games as well. But 
one, the Superdome's getting like 500 million in renovations. That's not a new stadium, but that's a, a shit ton of money. And two, because of that reason you mentioned right there, New Orleans is never not getting these big games. Sure. I mean, it's, I mean, there's a, like, there are certain cities that just have vibes to them and, and, and good ones and bad ones. And for all of New Orleans' problems and the crime and everything else, I, it, it is very enjoyable just being down. Like, there's certain, certain kind of vibe, certain kind of feeling just being in New Orleans that's awesome that you can't really replicate anywhere else. And that, along with it being like a warm weather city in the South, of course, it's going to get all these games. But to, I mean, to simplify what you said, like they're going to get the games because they're New Orleans. Like it's awesome. Who doesn't want to go there? And that's kind of part of what I was like. I was looking at all of you know people that I know that either cover LSU or Clemson or you know friends of the radio program that are national media. Like like Dellinger's wearing flip flops. It's warm weather. They've got like a media party. Like I, I don't get FOMO. I think as the kids say very often. But I was like, man, this would be pretty sweet to be there. Yeah, and uh, Richard will be there. Good for him. He's not selling his ticket. I, the face value of it, what was it, seven hundred bucks, and you could sell it right now for like forty five hundred. Richard always weasels his way into the most randomly awesome sporting <laughs> events, just last minute, and then doesn't tell anyone about it until like three days before. He's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, I'll be I'll be here on on Monday." It's like, "Oh, the national title game. You'll be there." Uh, so good for him, but. That, uh, we'll get into that game towards the end, get our predictions, because um, I do have some thoughts on that. But first, what a just overwhelmingly weird and wild wildcard weekend. I think we should start there instead of Ole Miss basketball, because I don't think Man, people are dying to hear about basketball their, team right now. <laughs> their offensive struggles. I, I, I don't necessarily know which game to start with. Obviously, I have a uh, I am partial to some degree, but I think I'd like to start with Chiefs-Texans, because that was the most... That was the craziest one, and that was the most maddening, I think, because I, I, I don't even, I've never seen anything like that. You really don't even see that very much in college anymore just because neither team t- tends to stop scoring in games like that. But 24 nothing, the Texans get up. I didn't even totally buy it, but I was just sitting there thinking, man, 24 nothing with Deshaun Watson, like that might not be enough for – like Patrick Mahomes might not be able to overcome that simply because that's just too many points and like they're not going to stop scoring. But I didn't totally buy into the to the game not being close. And then little did I know it evaporated in a quarter because of some boneheaded and baffling decisions by Bill O'Brien. But what a wild start to that game. The busted coverage, you get up seven nothing, the block a punt. The first two drives of the game, the Chiefs looked like they 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 didn't know where they were. I mean, dropping passes, all kinds of stuff. And I think that was kind of the fluke, fluky part of this in the sense that Houston wasn't really stopping Kansas City early in the game. Kansas City was stopping themselves. I mean, drop passes, block punt, muff punt, boom, it's 21 nothing. And then, of course, as I think we all know, where the game really felt like it kind of turned, Bill O'Brien decides to, on fourth and like what? It was like a foot from the Baltimore 15, I think, something yep. around there. Decides to kick the field goal to go up 24 to nothing. And I was sitting here watching with my two roommates. And I said, man, I would be going for the jugular here because you're huge underdogs on the road. Like 28 nothing, four touchdowns is pretty insurmountable. He kicks it big. You know, it's it's 24-7 in two seconds after a long touchdown return. And then these are kind of coupled together. The You don't go for it there, but then you fake a punt on your own 35. That's really where the game turned. And like it was never the same after that. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it, it, I guess we said it after last weekend. It kind of felt like uh, the Texans never really belonged there to begin with. And they showed you exactly why. Well, so I was texting someone over the weekend, and a couple of years ago, uh, the Titans went into Kansas City and won a playoff game in very fluky fashion. Like, it was a epic, epic Colts, I mean, uh, excuse me, Chiefs choke job, Alex Smith last game in Kansas City. You remember Mariota threw the touchdown pass to himself. That time, it was just a weird game. Uh, Derrick Henry was awesome in that game, too, by the way. But it was very fluky. And so I, I just I kind of got the same vibe with this one after a while. Because then what I was trying to get to is the Titans fired their coach after that. They won a playoff game and fired Mike Malarkey, which you never see in the NFL. But it was clear he was holding the team back. It doesn't sound like the Texans are going to do it, but. Wasn't that the most epitomizing game of why you need to fire Bill O'Brien? Because Deshaun Watson was awesome, and you still blew a 24-point lead, and nothing he did was even close to good enough. Yeah, there was a column in the Houston Chronicle calling for it as well, so even the local people have kind of had enough of it. The NFL's different than than college football. I I saw somebody compare, well, would you fire – Ryan Day after the way they lost to Clemson, and it's just so freaking different, man. That, that comparison is is awful. Yes, I think you should find a way to, to move on because you can do better at head coach. You have a quarterback that's better than, than that. You have a roster that's better than that. Um, yesterday was inexplicable, and it's – I mean, what else can you do? I've never seen like going back. I, I it, there's so there's such a shock value that I struggled to get over with this game, because like I said, even at twenty four nothing, I didn't feel like it was totally over. I didn't fully buy it, but I felt like it was one of those things where the chief would have the Chiefs would have this gradual build. You know, the Texans would sprinkle in a couple scores, and this thing was going to go down to the wire with the Chiefs down like four points with five minutes left. They they erased the entire deficit in ten minutes in a quarter. I mean, it was it was it was gone in less than a quarter. It was ten minutes, and it's twenty eight twenty four. And I got just, of course, at that point you knew that you knew exactly what was happening in the second half. Didn't it go from twenty four nothing to twenty four fourteen in like eighteen real life minutes? Yeah, yeah. And then, but they, I believe it was. If you want to lump the third one there, it went to twenty four twenty one, and I believe like I, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think it was like three or four minutes of game action. Because you had the long kickoff return uh, that made it 24-7 in two plays. The three and out with the fake punt, 24-14 because they scored in two plays. And then the ensuing kickoff gets fumbled like three plays later. It's a touchdown. So like literally three, four minutes of game action is 24-21. Like boom. Like your lead's pretty much gone. <laughs> and as you said, Watson was great and it still wasn't enough. Lose by 20 points when you have your quarterback playing the way he did. What did he throw for? 340? A couple of touchdowns? Was really good doing it? And what, so what's the rationale? Because I feel like you have to be consistent. If you're going to be conservative and kick the field goal and go up 24 nothing and kind of trust your defense, don't you have to trust your defense to pin the Chiefs back? Because they hadn't really done anything offensively at that point. A long kicker turn set up their first touchdown. Like, you have to be consistent, right? You, you, you can't yes. fake punt on your own 35 up 24-7 after you refuse to go for it on fourth and a foot. Like, I, I, I don't. I'm asking you to explain something that's not explainable, but well, I, I see. I think I that, that might that. just be somebody that's that it's just flying by the seat of their pants. You know, coaching uh, by 
feel instead of by logic and even the analytics aspect of it. And I assume we'll talk about analytics in a second, how the Titans are just saying, you know, screw that, and we're just going to be bigger and stronger than you. Uh, analytics be damned on their side. But that's what that feels like, is a guy that's not taking anything like that into account whatsoever. He's just making decisions as they come without any foresight. Because that's the only way that kind of thing comes up or happens. Yeah, and then they, they yeah, and the play calling was atrocious, and like the game felt over in the second half, but at the same time, it wasn't like they were driving 35 24, Kansas City was up, and like Houston's driving, and then they call like some reverse pass thing that loses 19 yards, and that drive fizzles out when you're in Kansas City territory. Like, none of it made any sense, and O'Brien, who I kind of I didn't watch a ton of Texans games. Obviously, I see him at least twice a year when the Titans play them. And I watched them some because the red zone and stuff and all that. But I, I don't really watch them enough to to understand the Bill O'Brien is terrible takes. Didn't like right, wrong, and different. But man, the last two weeks are about as bad of as an indictment as you can have. I mean, he I I, I am on the train. I, I get why they think he's terrible. That was a. Uh, that was not exactly a coaching clinic, and it was, uh, like I said, it was just baffling to me. I've never seen an NFL team blow a 24-point lead that quickly. Obviously, it's happened before. Uh, your favorite team, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, classic, you know, 28-3 to meme. Like, that, that was all the rage of the internet in 2017 or whatever it was. But, like, I, I've never seen that happen as quickly as it happened. And then, at the same time, as bad as the Texans were, uh, Pat Mahomes was unbelievable. 51-7 to seven run, you score touchdowns on seven straight possessions. And it's the way he does it, too, right? Like, uh, Rodgers last night, for example, ha- had a couple of throws that were just, uh, I mean, Hall of Fame throws. But when you watch it, as spectacular as that was and the accuracy was and the, the clutchness was, you've seen that from other quarterbacks before. This might sound stupid. The way Patrick Mahomes goes about runs like yesterday I've never seen before and maybe it's pointless but like the flare that no look little shovel pass that he had he was rolling to his left he had two defenders on him and just kind of like shoved one what was it Travis Kelsey who caught it Uh, little things that he does like that you just don't see from anybody else and and he does it no matter the moment because you think about what there was yesterday they looked horrible the first three drives the boo birds are coming down He's quarterbacking, granted, most of this is no fault of his own, a franchise that is known for having epic chokes, coached by a, a, a coach who's had his fair share of playoff mishaps and meltdowns and big reason why he's never won a Super Bowl as great of a coach as he is. Everything's going against him. You're thinking, holy crap, the Chiefs are doing it again. And it didn't phase him. Like that whole calm, cool, collective, whatever you want to call it, flair, he was the exact same way down 24 to nothing than he was when they were up, you know, 51-31 and the game's over. It's like, he. It, we'll get to this in a second, but it's like the difference between he and Lamar, to me, and particularly in a vacuum in this weekend, it was like Mahomes felt like he knew they were going to win the game no matter what happened. Like 24 nothing. I think he was 100% confident they were going to win. I mean, the whole thing felt like a sports movie. He's over there pumping people up on the sideline. Like, they get up 20, like even that first touchdown, 24-7, to he just kind of looked in his eye that was kind of like, oh, this dude's about to... uh this isn't over. This like he's about to go off, and I, I guess this is a decent transition into the next game. But you know, we get so in sports media, we get so like infatuated with the shiny new toy. I don't think there's any doubt who the best quarterback in the NFL for the next 15 years is going to be. 
And that's not a shot at Lamar Jackson, but like Mitchell it's Trubisky. almost like we it's almost like we forget. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bears fans had to be sick in multiple ways uh, this past week because they passed on both of those guys in that game. But like we get so infatuated with kind of the shiny new thing, and I get you know, Lamar was great, and he's going to get the MVP and deserves it, and narrative and all that. I got it, but uh, like there's really no doubt here. It's almost like we forgot about Mahomes because Kansas City did kind of fly under the radar. That and then Wilson last night was spectacular. Like Bill Polian is kind of, kind of vindicated with how well Wilson played last night when every, I mean, he put that team on his back and then some yesterday and all they needed was a correct spot from an official and he would have driven them down the field and won the game. I swear like that, that was going to happen if he gets the football back. So you have these people that will tell you that Lamar Jackson is far and away the best quarterback in the NFL, and he's he's shaping the landscape of the game and just completely ignoring the fact that you've got uh, Patrick Mahomes, who was just spectacular yet again. And I think Wilson still – if you had to pick one right now, I think you would still pick Wilson, wouldn't you, with how just how special he was yesterday? He's a little bit older, so the, the next 15 years thing goes to Mahomes, but – I don't know. I think I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but if You're I had to pick hairs. one, point, yeah, yeah, you Mahomes are. might They're win it because of the age thing, but like my God, those are two of the. I mean, those are the two best doing it on the planet right now, and it's not even close. But it, like, it, it's I don't know. It just felt like the. I mean, like Mahomes got hurt for part of this year, and they had Matt Moore for a couple games, and the defense was crappy and banged up, and then. Really, as Lamar was taking over the NFL, the second half of the NFL season, the Chiefs were kind of brewing as uh, this team's the best team in the NFL. No one's really talking about it because their run defense. I remember that week, like eight, nine game, whatever, against the Chargers in Mexico City, where they were just getting gashed, and it took Phil Rivers throwing up on himself for them to even win the game. But like that defense versus the one that's really been like, that's been playing the last month is like night and day, not even close to the same. And, yeah, they gave up a bunch of points yesterday, but that was kind of their own mishaps. But I don't know. I, I, I think they've got as easy as a path ever to get the Super Bowl. They had a little hiccup, tried to screw it up, but uh, that was a pretty wild comeback win. But I guess on the flip side of that, the, uh, the most shocking result of the weekend was, without a doubt, the uh, Tennessee Titans somehow did it again. They pulled it off. They went in there and really just kind of punched uh, – what you thought was the best rushing team in the NFL in the mouth. And like the stats on this game are weird, but this game really wasn't even close. And it was, I mean, as you mentioned, the Titans are kind of going back to 1980s football. Derrick Henry, 30 carries, 195, uh, six and a half yards a carry. That is the, uh, I believe he's the first back in NFL history to go for 180 in three straight games. I believe that's 30 plus carries in three straight games. I don't really know how to put this into words, but like, He's the best back in the NFL. It's not close. And, like, I mean, six and a half yards of carry when they were stacking seven, eight in the box. Because, like, if you go back and watch it, and there was some stuff on the internet yesterday that I was reading, they were doing the thing. Like, the Ravens were doing the thing, like, hey, here's eight in the box. You're not running it. And the Titans were like, no, actually, we are. We're going to do it anyway. And it was remarkable. This game was very strange. Titans started off very hot. You got the early pick. And, you know, Tannehill, what, he's 7 of 14. Tannehill was 7 of 14 for 88 yards. But, like, the two, three biggest throws of the game that he needed to make, he put on the money. The touchdown pass to, was it Jonu Smith? Or I can't remember who it was. 
to go up 14 nothing was a dive. It was perfect. It's like the passes he had to make, he had it, but you know, they get up 14 nothing and kind of just you know took it out of his hands. Like, we don't need you. We have Derrick Henry. Uh, I don't really know how to sum up what Derrick Henry's doing, but it is a it's it's remarkable to watch. Like, I, I'm not, I don't think opposing defense like opposing defenses to me against a single running back have not looked as helpless in a long time than they have against what he's doing right now. Well, isn't it as simple as he's doing what somebody with his measure, his measurable should be doing, and we've just never seen somebody with his physical tools in the league before? Yeah, and he's been doing it for years. Like, if he weren't on the Tennessee Titans, people would have stumbled upon this a couple of years ago. Yeah, and that— I mean, and the identity, the way they're doing it, I love so much. I Like, if every NFL team played the way the Titans did, I think it would be boring. But since they're the only ones that are just playing this F-U uh, physical football, we're bigger and stronger than you, and we're meaner than you and tougher than you, and screw analytics, screw throwing the football and conventional wisdom, we're just going to line up and kick your ass. And it's awesome to watch. I don't know why. I can't figure out why I love it so much. I mean, maybe it's just because... You hear so much about Tom Brady. He's the greatest of all time. And Bill Belichick. And they just went to Foxborough and just lined up and kicked their ass. And then Baltimore, the shiny new toys you mentioned. Lamar Jackson, the changing the face of football forever. They are 14-1 and one or whatever. 14-2. and two. And the Titans with Ryan Tannehill, who was the backup going into the year, who they got from Miami for next to nothing – lines up and just kicks their ass too. There's nothing special about it. There's no, like people are going to spend hours breaking this game down today and talking about Lamar Jackson, which I think is not fair because he threw for 365 and ran for 143. Like saying he didn't show up in that game. I know he turned the football over, but uh, he showed up. His team just got their ass kicked. Physically dominated by the Titans yesterday. That's what happened. Yeah, I texted. Uh, I texted Nick Suss, the uh, Clary Ledger beat Ole Miss beat writer, who is a Titans fan as well. And I just I texted him on Saturday night. And I said we just created an entire off season's worth of hot takes because this Mahomes Lamar is Lamar a fraud? Is this sustainable? All that stuff is just going to be plastered across first take. The, I mean, really for the next week, two weeks, it'll probably stop a little bit for the Super Bowl. But you want to talk about the off-season hot take fodder, we've already found it. I mean, that's exactly what this is going to be when it comes to the NFL, which is hilarious to me. Lamar, so I, watching this game, I, I had, like, look, it, Lamar was bad in spots. His stats looked fine because he was. He was bad in spots. They had some drops. He made some not-so-great throws. But it was really, to me, the fourth down, like the – the Ravens were the most aggressive team in the NFL all year. Like fourth and one, fourth and two, pretty much anywhere on the field, they're going for it and they're getting it because that offense is so hard to stop. But the Titans up front just kind of manhandled them. I mean, they were what? They got at least two off the top of my head when the game was really still in consequence. Fourth down stops in in uh, in Tennessee territory that really changed the course of the game. Uh, and that was really the difference. I mean, there were a couple that really swung the momentum of that game. I'm trying to pull it up. A guy at CBS Sports had a really interesting tweet about where all of these drives started and ended for the Ravens. And long story short, they had nine drives that ended in Tennessee territory, and they scored 12 points in the game. 
That seems hard to do. All right, here we go. The Ravens had drives that ended at the Titans 36, Titans 31, Titans 4, Titans 18, Titans 31, Titans 15, Titans 16, Titans 21. If you lump the 21 in there, that's five drives that end in the red zone, and they ended up with 12 points. There were a couple of fourth down play calls I didn't quite understand, like the sideways sneak that they did. I didn't really get that, but that was really where this game was won and lost. The Titans were incredible in short yardage situations, and I think the Ravens, like when Lamar got stopped a couple times and the game seemed to be getting away from him, I mentioned the Mahomes thing, like Lamar kind of looked lost on the sideline. Like he was kind of looking around like, what the hell's happening right now? Like like this, this hasn't happened all year because it has been so easy for him all year or he's made it look so easy. Ravens 0 of 4 on third down in this game. Did not complete a single four, excuse me, fourth down. I mean, that that to me was the difference. And like L- Lamar did look a little a little frazzled as to what was going on and, and how this was happening because again, they've run over literally everyone this year. Yeah. It, it, and it, it is just a second playoff start. Uh, and that's what gets lost in all of this. I and mean, you've talked about it a lot. It's he hasn't had two full seasons of starting experience yet. I mean, he has fewer starts ever than Tom Brady does in the playoffs. So, I mean, these are the kind of things that you think hopefully he will learn and and adjust moving forward because he did look lost on the sideline. And and maybe with more experience, he will, um, one, expect things like this come playoff time, and two, learn from it, make adjustments, and actually be effective when it matters. Yeah, so we'll do, you dipped your toes into the offseason hot take that I was talking about. I will go full into it. Like, because you're going to have pundits and everybody on one side saying, you know, this can't work or this wasn't his fault. There's going to be no nuance. But kind of what you just hit on, what actually happened here is I, I think. I think you do have to be wary running this type of strange, unconventional offense where you rely so much on read options and really rely so much on one player. But he does throw well enough to where they can win playoff games. And what's going to be unfair is him getting the last year's performance against the Chargers when they were blown out at home. Uh, That's going to get used against him. The Chargers had one of the best defenses in the NFL, if not the best last year. And he was running a Joe Flacco type offense with some tweaks. This year was a little bit more of an indictment because they spent the entire offseason building around him and like building to what they wanted to do. And I mean, it took the league by storm, but there is a different type of football played in the postseason. It's more traditional. It's what the Tennessee Titans are doing. This in cold weather at the end of the year, this brand of football running, 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 making enough throws and playing good defense travels pretty much anywhere. And it really is kind of timeless. I mean, you, you go back or as far back or as far forward as you want to, it, it really is kind of timeless. So I do think you have to be hesitant with this. Uh, it's not finesse. Like the chiefs are kind of finesse. They're just faster than everyone, but this obscure style of play, but there was really nothing I saw on Saturday that really made me definitively be like, this can't work. They just kind of picked a bad day to have a bad day. Yeah. And uh, it, on the flip side of it, though, the people that insinuate that you are a racist if you don't believe in Lamar Jackson fully, a uh, bad day for those people as well. That is a bad day for those people because, again, like it, it is that you're when you draft him and he's an incredible athlete, I mean, the Ravens are doing a very specific, unconventional type of thing. And normally unconventional, and I'm not comparing him to Tebow, but Tebow likes stuff the Wildcat gets snuffed out and figure out. 
Lamar Jackson's a way better athlete than all of them. So I, I do think this is sustainable long term. But I mean, it, it did get stopped, and that that is something that that you need to take into consideration. But I saw somebody I bring up his fine. college bowl games uh, as well. He wasn't That's, good in college okay. in the postseason either. That's just, so because he lost the Gator Bowl, this man doesn't have it in the postseason. You think he had the same nerves Saturday night as he had in Florida but, as a junior in college? When he was playing Mississippi State? Yeah, and like one of the interceptions went off his tight end's hands. Like, I don't know. To yeah, me, it was a little same, high, but that's a, a ball you catch in the NFL. Right. And so they had three turnovers, a fumble, two, two picks. You know, like I mentioned, one of them went off the, the hands. Like, uh, to me, that was not fluky, but the Ravens did not play very well, and the Titans took full advantage of it. I mean, it, that that's what it came down to to me. Because to me, still, if that game's played ten times, the Ravens win seven or eight at least. Like, it, it just – a lot of things really didn't go their way. They fell behind. And to the Titans' credit, they took it over. So I, I guess now you have your AFC matchup set. I give Tennessee more than a puncher shot next weekend in Kansas City. Like, I think they've got a real shot to do this. The way they're playing, like, the Chiefs looked great offensively, but I don't understand how you're stopping Derrick Henry because the Ravens tried to do it. They put seven or eight people in the box, and that didn't work. So at a certain point, what do you do? No, that's exactly right. And then uh, on top of all of that, as good as the Chiefs were, I I think you're seeing a significantly better defense than the one that just gave up 51 points to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like the, the Titans played the Chiefs at their most vulnerable time. I say most vulnerable, not really. The defense was playing bad. It was Mahomes' first game back from the ankle thing. The Titans won a strange, quirky game in Nashville where it was like it was one of those where it was like, how the hell did the Chiefs lose that? So it's a completely different team. But man, something about this Titans team that I was watching a lot of the post game stuff, and it was like they weren't really too high after this one either. They were like, I, we think we can win the Super Bowl. And like, we, you know, we'll enjoy this for a night, the classic cliche shit that every team says. But they really did. Like, there wasn't a ton of like, like over celebration in the locker room. It was kind of like, no, nah, this is another step. Like, we actually think we can do it, which I think most people that follow this team all along kind I didn't think that this was possible, but they did have a Super Bowl level defense. And you had a very high paid offensive line that was not performing very well. Now they're playing better, and it's a they're a pretty scary team. Like I, I would want no part of this if I was Kansas City. Kansas City's rightfully going to be about a touchdown favorite, but like at, at a certain point, I don't know how you stop Derrick Henry. I, we've never seen anything like this. There's really no precedent for what he's doing, and I, I don't really know any better way to say that than. And it's a hell of a lot of fun to watch. He's a fun runner because it, it's a slow build, and then he gets to the third level, and like you can't really catch him. It's like how is this guy that big that fast? You think it's fair to say that maybe we'll finally get to see uh, what Tannehill will be like in these situations coming up next week? Yeah, because I do think they're going to try to do the ball control thing, but I think the Chiefs' offense is good enough. The Titans are going to have to score a little bit more next week, but I, I, I do. But to be fair to Do you think he can credit, do it? I do. I mean, because when you got to the regular season, part of the reason one of this was, this was the best offense in the NFL was Tannehill, yeah, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry was banged up for part of the year, and so they weren't using him this heavily. They're using him now the way they are because they can and like they it's the best way to win. But like regular season, Tannehill was throwing the ball deep down the field. I mean, he threw for twenty seven hundred yards, two touchdowns, and six picks in what? 
Yeah, the highest passer rating in those games that he played compared to the rest of the league, right? Or second highest behind Breeze, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's that's 2,700 yards, 22 touchdowns, six picks in 13 games. Like, he was playing really well. Just, I mean, Henry's your safest bet right now is the why they're playing the way they are. I think Tannehill's more than capable. Now, granted, playoff game, cold weather, biggest game of his life next week is a much different than playing, you know, in Jacksonville in week 13 or whatever, but I do think the capabilities there, I don't think, I don't think, from everything I've read, I don't think the Titans genuinely feel like he's a liability that they're going to have to mask. I think they just haven't needed him yet. And so it'll be interesting to watch, but what a, uh, what a crazy game. I, I thought the Titans had an outside shot, but I, I did not see that coming at all. I mean, that, that was, that was the shock. Dude, you didn't think they had an outside shot. Give yourself more credit. And it wasn't a homer pick. You had reason behind it. You picked them to win the game, straight up. That was without, but I have to admit that was more so just me talking myself into it. Like as a as as someone who grew up watching the Titans, like probably the only team I still have like a slight emotional investment in in any sport ever. Like, like period. Like I was talking myself into it. I did believe they had a decent shot, but to be honest, like going into the game, it was kind of like this is house money. Let's just see what happens. But I mean, I could. I, there's no way I would have predicted it was 28-12 and. And for them to kick their ass the way they did, I mean that was that was shocking. But definitely the biggest Titans win since I have a conscious memory because I was like five the last time they got to the AFC title game, and I believe the last time they were there, they lost to the Ravens at home, if I'm not mistaken. So what a day! That was a crazy game. We've got two more to get to, but we'll take a break and remind you to go see Greg University Avenue, LB's across from Kroger. Uh, Greg hit you with three in one week again. All that guy does is print money. I'm beginning to think Greg is actually sharp as much as I joke about it because I, I'm not sure how many losing weeks he's had, but go see him. They've got the Lane Train special, which is a eight-ounce, $15 bacon wrap filet. The Keith Carter special is six-ounce, $10 bacon wrap filet. You heard about all the sausages on Friday's show. They've got the blueberry sausage. They've got uh, game packs for baseball season coming up. They've got all kinds of stuff going on there. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. Really appreciate Greg sponsoring the show. Go see him, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We got two left. One was a stinker and one was pretty good. Which one do you want to do first? Let's do the stinker. Just get it out of the way. Uh, I mean, like, how do you sum this up? Uh, The 49ers are better than the Vikings. End of story. (laughs) Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, Kirk Cousins, not great, but also they, they couldn't block Nick Bosa. You talk about one player. Like, in each game this weekend, there was really one player that changed the entire game. And, like, for me in this game, it was Nick Bosa. The other one, it was Travis Kelsey, Derrick Henry, obviously, and then Devontae Adams. Like, this was the week where one player really impacted all these games, and they couldn't block him, and there was really nothing they could do about it. Yeah, like, as you said, San Francisco is just much better, and they're – I, I don't really like the Packers' chances next week. We'll get into that, I guess, in a minute. But, like, San Francisco looks like the cream of the crop in the NFC. And I hate the Saints got tripped up by this Minnesota team because we are robbed of a good matchup. Yeah, I do believe, though, that they would have uh, had to go to Green Bay, I think. Right, so but I, think I would kind of – I would have bet this – gone to San Francisco and New Orleans would have gone to Green Bay, right? Or am I mistaken? No, no, you're correct. But I would have, I would have honestly, I would have had my money on the Saints to beat the Packers. Like, I thought if the Saints hadn't gotten tripped up, I thought we were getting Saints Niners NFC title. And that would have been so good. It's still going to be good. But this, um, the Packers being fool's gold, I think you and I 
both said it one way or another a few weeks ago. I think even with a win yesterday, that was confirmed more than it was denied. You still don't know, right? Because like the 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 Seahawks, like they barely beat a super banged up Eagles team that really shouldn't have been in the playoffs. Like, I we'll get to the flip side of this game in a minute. But, like, it was really just Russell Wilson and a bunch of injuries and a rookie wide receiver. I mean, they were down to a shell of Marshawn Lynch. They were down their top three running backs, missing a couple dudes on the offensive line, missing four or five defensive starters. Like, I guess, like, if there's a – obviously, like, every team wants to win the Super Bowl if you have a good team. But if there's actually a team in the post game where they're like, this is a disappointment, this wasn't our ultimate goal. Like, if there's a team you can call bullshit on, it's Seattle. Tip of the cap there. How they made it that far is remarkable because that was not a playoff team if uh, Russell Wilson is not taking the signals. But to your point, as we were talking about a second ago, you still don't know with the Packers. They win ugly, but at the same time, they have a good defense. They run the ball. And to Rodgers' credit, at the end of the game, that throw to Adams, that was the backbreaker. What they did on third down and the big throws he made in the second half of that game were were pretty remarkable, and third round was the difference in this game. Seattle could not get off the field. Uh, no, and that, that was Hall of Fame stuff, the, especially the one you mentioned. But there was a few in that fourth quarter where you're you, just – when he throws it, you think, oh, shit, that's picked. And it just falls perfectly into this window that you didn't even know existed. I mean, he, was, he was so special late in that game yesterday. But it's like it, – it, it still doesn't look – I don't know what it is about the Packers, but it doesn't look visually appeasing. And then Not at all. They've already gone out to San Francisco once and just got absolutely boat raced on uh, Sunday night football earlier this year. I think it will be a closer game than that. But I, I, you still don't feel like you know. But I think I'm going to have to start buying into the Packers because, I mean, they play really good defense. They make enough plays and they run the hell out of the ball. And it's kind of like a – it's like a less enjoyable version of what the Titans do to some degree, but they have a much more capable quarterback, so you're kind of distracted by the fact like, hey, shouldn't they let him do more cool stuff, like throw it to Devontae Adams? But then again, that was the difference in this game. Third down, and the Packer, I mean, the Seahawks just couldn't guard Devontae Adams. I mean, that dude did whatever he wanted. I think he finished with, let me see here. Eight receptions, 160, and two scores. I mean, there was there was literally nothing they could do to stop him. I mean, he had almost two-thirds of the passing yards Aaron Rodgers had. He finished 16-27 to 27 for 243. So, like, see, not a great stat line. 11 incompletions, nine yards per completion, but, like, certainly good enough. They're, they're a weird team, but I, I, I like San Francisco next week. But this game was looked like it was going to be a blowout. On the flip side of things, the second half that Russell Wilson played yesterday was – was up there with some, one of the best halves of football I've ever seen. I mean, I hate that they got stopped twice at the end and didn't have a chance to really go down the field. I say have a chance. Didn't really make it that interesting. But that third quarter, those first three drives, he was about as automatic. I mean, those were three touchdowns he willed them to pretty much by himself. Uh, what do you think about the spot? Did he get it or not? I don't think I, – I, I, in live action, I thought he got it. And it was it's, – it's hard to see and it's close enough. But at that point – they were already out of timeouts. You would have pinned them inside your own 10. Like, they would have had a chance, but you're talking, what, 55, 56 seconds left, 90 yards, no timeouts? Yeah, something like I mean, it wouldn't have happened. And, hell, <laughs> they probably just should have lined up and gone for it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think they would have. But actually, I don't know that, but I, I would have. I, the way they were running the ball, 
I would. Have I mean, even up fifty seconds and ninety yards. I mean, do you really want to give Wilson? If you can't get a foot, you deserve to lose the game anyway. It wouldn't even have been a foot, like six inches. Or you can yeah, give it, Russell Wilson the the ball back when he's been on fire in the second half, and they've got a massive wide receiver, even though they didn't use him all that much yesterday. Still, it just it it feels like that would have been a better decision than giving the ball to Russell Wilson, even with just fifty seconds left. I agree, and as good as Rodgers was down the stretch, it kind of clouded from the fact that that was shaping up to be a classic Russell Wilson game to where he gets the ball back twice where they're down five, or I guess they got it back once down five, and it was like the the Packers' defense were able to string together a couple stops when that game really looked like it was going to play a classic Seahawks game where it's like, how did they win this? They shouldn't have. Because like when Russell Wilson got it back the first time down 28-23, I was like, he's scoring and winning this game you know, 29 or 31, 28, something like that. So big stops by the Packers defense down the stretch, but they just didn't really have the horses here. Like to me, the third down that felt way more backbreaking than the controversial spot was Rodgers throwing that dime to Adams on third and nine because they had them backed up. And it's like Seattle's about to get the ball back here with much better field position. And two timeouts, right? Yeah, exactly. And like time wasn't even really a factor because they were going to have two timeouts and the two-minute warning at that point. So they were going to have like a real shot at it, and Rodgers just made an absolutely incredible throw that was defended pretty well, but just absolutely perfect to the one guy the Seahawks couldn't stop all day. And that that one play summed up the game because it was third down conversion to the one guy they couldn't guard. I mean, it was it was remarkable. So two pretty weird matchups next week. I don't think anyone would have really predicted. Uh, no one would have predicted Kansas City, Tennessee, Tennessee but. I don't think anyone would have really predicted Green Bay, San Francisco either, because I think you felt like it was kind of a heavyweight fight coming between New Orleans and San Francisco. Like I didn't really yeah, you ever keep buy reminding that. me of that. Like you don't have to keep <laughs> I just, saying that. I just never really like the, to me. If we said it all year, just those two teams seem way better in the NFC, and I never really bought the Packers. And I guess that's really my mistake because I mean they're there, and I should have, and they're the two seed, and they're they're really good. So. Two interesting matchups next week, but um, this certainly feels like a Niners-Chiefs Super Bowl, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, and I don't know if that excites me or not. I mean, I, I could get behind that because it's the Niners, this team that have kind of just taken taken the NFC by storm this year where it's like their defense is incredible. They have so much speed offensively, Kyle Shanahan, all that, against Mahomes and Andy Reid. I could get behind that. I mean – Obviously, I, I want the Titans to win. That would be awesome. But, like, would Titans-Packers really get people invigorated, particularly with the way these two teams play football? Oh, we can just bitch about Aaron Rodgers, whether or not he's actually the greatest for a few weeks. That would be great. Yeah, that's uh, that will uh, that will certainly be coming if they even if they lose this AFC title, an NFC title game. That would be something that uh, Skip Bayless will be all over. But – Interesting weekend, uh, you know, overall takeaways, Russell Wilson is incredible if they add some defensive help and get him a couple more weapons on offense because that is kind of a young team. Uh, they're going to be awesome. Uh, Titans just keep defying modern football um, and get ready for an offseason of Lamar Jackson takes. Are you sick of them yet? Because the, the onslaught has just begun. I have luckily avoided uh, any sports debate show or anything today. Uh, so haven't really gotten into them yet. I just, I know they're coming at both sides. It's amazing. It, for some reason, uh, you've got to pick a side 
in sports now. If you're in the the take business, you can't just be like, you know what, hey, um, not not great uh, for Lamar in the playoffs, but he's still a young quarterback, and uh, you certainly can't count him out. He deserves the MVP, and uh, who knows? I mean, maybe he'll learn and, and become a great quarterback. It either has to be he's a complete bum or you're a racist because you don't think he's good. Like, we can't just have this in the middle – like regular conversation that I think most people want anyway, where you acknowledge that he's great, acknowledge that he hasn't been great in his two playoff starts, and that um, the jury is still out on what he will be moving forward as an NFL quarterback. Like, why can't we just be that? Yeah, because there, and it creates these like weird disingenuous. Like it creates. I mean, obviously, that's kind of the point of it. These disingenuous hot takes, but like there is a crowd that is weirdly defensive of him, and like it's okay to say he played in a ter- he played terrible in a playoff game, and there's reason to throw maybe throw up a caution flag at the kind of offense they run and all of that. But also, there's some element that he just had a bad day. Like it's okay to land in the middle, but that does not drive television ratings. So I will be looking forward to. Terrible Lamar Jackson takes all offseason. Kind of reeling it in a little more locally. uh, There wasn't a whole lot going on on the Mississippi uh, sports front this weekend. Uh, Ole Miss. No, you do have uh, just news that just broke. I I mean, I don't know how much people care about this, but uh, uh, Ole Miss has hired South Alabama's strength and conditioning coach to be on uh, Wilson Love's staff. Uh, his name is Lance Ancar, if I'm saying it correctly. Uh, he's 35, and he's been at South Alabama for uh, almost three years as the head strength coach, and he will be uh, on Will Love's staff at Ole Miss. There you have it. It's been a long time since Ole Miss had a new strength staff. I believe that last staff with uh, Jackson got there right at the beginning of Hugh Freeze. So I yeah, believe he was a Hugh Freeze hire. Yeah, so and he, you know, he survived the Matt Luke um, kind of transition. So he's been there for a while. So it's been quite a while since Ole Miss has had a retooling in the strength and conditioning department. Uh, I know there, in some circles, they thought that was uh, fairly well warranted. So that will um, that will be interesting. Um, and then I guess the other piece of news um, from a hiring perspective is over the weekend, Derek Nix will be retained on Lane Kiffin's staff, the uh, running backs coach that has now survived three different coaching staffs at Ole Miss. I believe he's thirty nine years old. 13 seasons at Ole Miss will now be the wide receivers coach at Ole Miss. I've got to think this is your recruiting move, obviously. I mean, I'm, I think I'm stating the obvious here, but this one was a little bit of a, a shocker to me. Out of all, like if you're, if you pull it all the last staff together and maybe pick, like pluck who was going to get retained or not, I'm not sure I would have guessed this one. Yeah, especially with the convention still going on. Uh, I'm surprised that this hire was made before. I mean, the convention really got going. I, I, I have a fairly educated feeling that this is just really has to do with his in-state recruiting ties because he has been around here a long time at this point. You know, you, and it's you, a you staff put it, that doesn't have them, really. Exactly. And so I, I think this is a smart move. And, you know, throwing I wouldn't make too much of throwing him in as the wide receivers coach. They had one offensive staff opening, and, you know, you had to put him somewhere. So – it's it's interesting because you had a guy that was kind of more known as a good wide receivers coach in terms of peeler to where this to see was like a strictly recruiting move. I don't think it makes a huge difference, like you know whether he goes from running backs to wide receivers coach, whatever. This is an off the field recruiting trail type of thing, but it is an interesting hire. So now there is a 
one on-field staff position to be filled, and that is on the defensive side of the football. And I imagine that's going to be a DBs or linebackers guy, would you not think? Yeah, I, even though – isn't Durkin a linebackers coach, or am I just completely blowing No, that? I think you're right. I think it'll be a secondary thing. And so, they need help back there as much as they can get. Yeah, they do. They have a they, that was it was a weird year for the Ole Miss secondary because I had someone from Memphis ask me, uh, you know, how good Charles Clark was, former Ole Miss secondary coach who was uh, who was hired on uh, Ryan Silverfield's staff along with Mike McIntyre, and I, I kind of described it to him. I was like, it was a weird year because they had some veterans uh, that you thought were going to produce that either got hurt or just kind of stunk. And so they started just like after that, really that Alabama game was the first time I noticed to where they were just like McIntyre was kind of like F it for the lack of a better phrase. We're going to play these young guys, the DeAndre princes of the world, you know, a couple of those other dudes that played back there and they really, really struggled initially, but kind of played better towards the end of the year. So a lot of development to still be done there, but I do think there is some talent back there. Yeah. And they, for, for at times playing three true freshmen in the secondary, they did well uh, relative to what you would expect from a, a group that that's, that is that young. As good of a job as Mike McIntyre did, they were still pretty bad defensively. So even with the, the new staff and all of that, there's so much work to be done back there. Yeah, there is. So that um, that's Lane Kiffin's staff is kind of rounding out. He'll put the finishing touches on it here in the coming days, uh, as as you kind of mentioned. And uh, recruiting will start on Wednesday. Thursday. Thursday. Wednesday, Thursday. It's like the 16th or something, because I remember we had to look this up on the podcast last time because we uh, – we, we I think it's Wednesday. Dates. Yeah, somewhere in the middle of the week. Next weekend is when they start having visitors back on campus and all that. So putting the finishing touches on his staff um, – Really elsewhere on the basketball front, uh, it's kind of a crappy weekend for the state of Mississippi State. What I think got beat on a buzzer beater at LSU. Ole Miss blows a late lead to Arkansas at home. I was at this game. I was covering this game. I, this, to me, kind of the 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 two un- underlying issues with this team really kind of manifested themselves in a uh, in this one because. You had an opposing guard just go unconscious in the second half that Ole Miss couldn't stop. And you've seen that happen now against Wichita State. You've seen it with Butler and Kamar Baldwin. You saw it again here. You saw it to some degree with the kid from the the wing from uh, southeastern Louisiana, the Meridian kid whose name is escaping me. Like other teams' best offensive player, Ole Miss, particularly if they're a perimeter player, which in this day and age in basketball most times is the case, Ole Miss has had a hell of a hard time stopping them. And this one was uh, no different. Isaiah Joe goes for 34, 26 in the second half. Ole Miss really just melted down. They had an 11-point second-half lead. And really, I thought for about 32, 33 minutes of this game, looked improved offensively. Um, you had other guys besides Bree and Tyree making shots, which you know naturally, particularly with a team that sometimes doesn't really bring their own energy, helps on the defensive end because everything's better when you're making jump shots. But, like, Blake Henson had 13. K.J. Buffin had 12. Like, you were getting help elsewhere offensively. But then the last, like, six minutes of this game, things really just got away with them. And it went, when it went south, it really went south. They had an eight-point lead that they lost in 32 seconds of game time. Joe hit a three. Joe came down the floor after a turnover, hit another three that coincided with a Hadim C, 
shove in the back of, I can't remember who the Arkansas post player was, but it was a five-point play. So you're up 64-56, and then literally 32 seconds later, the game's tied. And really after that, Ole Miss didn't have much of a chance. I mean, the game really just kind of got away with them. They couldn't stop Isaiah Joe, and they stopped scoring down the stretch. They're, uh, it was interesting to me because Arkansas really ratcheted up the pressure the last eight minutes of the game. Musselman was basically like, I'm going to get the ball out of Shuler's hands. I'm going to get the ball out of Tyree's hands and make someone else make a play. And they kind of had a little soft half-court trap going, and Ole Miss handled it terribly. I don't know if you watched this game, but their offensive possessions the last five minutes of the game were – night and day different than the other 35 minutes yeah the ball is has a tendency to stick in somebody's hand for a long time during these possessions and uh, that's why at one they don't have a closer as good as Tyree has been and and he's a I mean he was good again uh, I guess uh, on Saturday for the most part but he's not a closer and and they don't have one of those right now on top of that their possessions as you mentioned are terrible I think mostly because the vast majority of the possession is spent with one guy either try, waiting, for a, waiting for a screen or, or trying to beat somebody off the dribble, but the ball is sticking in somebody's hands for way too long, leading to disjointed possessions and bad shots and turnovers, and they can't close games because of it. And you're exactly right, and I would say to add on to that too, is even in general when they're not getting pressured and it's not you know, late-game scenarios like that, this team doesn't have a ton of great passers on it. And so when when the ball is not in Schuler's hands and he's things are not kind of running through him in terms of like not the offense, but when he's not running the offense, the ball sticks elsewhere. He's the he is an integral piece to kind of keep the ball movement going on a team that really struggles to have ball movement for long stretches during pos- possessions. And that really kind of manifested itself here. Like you I mean the last five minutes of the game, they trap him he or Tyree, you know. 36, 37 feet from the basket near half-court line, and Ole Miss looks lost. Like, not only are they not getting a possession, they're not even really setting up in anything. They're not able to run any sort of offense, and that really killed them. And How does Kermit another- let that happen? Because that didn't happen a year ago. And I know they had Terrence Davis, who, if John Morant didn't exist, would be the rookie of the year in the NBA. But John Morant is going to win rookie of the year. The kid has been unbelievable even with with him, the sets looked different. The way they closed games looked different than they do now. So I, you probably can't answer this, but how is he letting that happen? Well, I can try. And what's happening here is, and really, I, I don't feel like, and I, I say he hasn't been talked about enough, I, I don't really read other people's stuff on, on this beat. So uh, whether it's been talked about, my freshmen do, but I don't read your stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My freshmen tell me what you say. Um, Surely enough, people know that reference by now. We don't need to explain that. But uh, um, what's happening here, and I don't know if this has been talked about quite enough, but KJ Buffin and Blake Henson have really not taken the jump to consistent, not only scorers on the offensive end or at least offensive options but defenders as well and Kermit mentioned in the post game it's getting to the point where they can't play them at the same time because when you go big with them two and see because you saw at the beginning of the year they tried to do the small ball thing with Luis and then Henson and Buffin at the three fours and fives and play small that didn't work now you can't play them together on the floor because you have to have C out there 
but th- they're so bad defensively and they make so many mistakes and bad fouls and turnovers. Blake Henson had three or four head scratching turnovers uh, in this game that I-, I thought Kermit Davis might have a stroke. Like, I mean, he, he was like, <laughs> he was irate on the sideline. And so they're having to stagger those two and not play them at the same time. And then that creates a really hand tied bench because you only have four healthy guards on this team right now with Luis being out as a wing and Bryce Williams not being able to play. So you're playing Tyree and Schuer 36 and 39 minutes respectively in this game. Schuer played 36, Tyree played 39. I don't have it in front of me, but if I went back and looked it up, I would bet that's at least the fourth game in a row that that's happened, maybe even further than that. So you don't have very many options in your backup guards right now. You know, it's Franco Miller – Bryce Williams, when he's healthy, they don't really offer very much offensively at all and aren't great on defense either. And so Kermit Davis's hands are kind of tied. This is a long way to answer your question, but when he's not able to play Henson and Buffin at the same time and one of them's on the bench, there's not really much lineup versatility. And so you're playing those two guards a ton of minutes and it's wearing them down. I mean, you could see as clear as day on, on Saturday afternoon. They were worn down by the end of that game. But they don't have any other options. So I don't really know what they do. They, From a depth standpoint, they really, really miss Luis Rodriguez. He wouldn't solve their shot-making issues, but he defends, he rebounds, he's tough, and he's versatile. And then you know, not having Bryce Williams out there isn't the biggest deal, but when you're already down a Luis Rodriguez, that's one more guard that can at least play minutes for you that they don't have. So you're playing Crowley and Miller behind Tyree, and sure, and that's pretty much all you got. Like, there's just not a whole lot they can do. And now it doesn't get any easier, right? They're in Gainesville on Tuesday, and then have LSU, who is not as good as LSU from a year ago, but they're still certainly um, a tough ask. I mean, they beat Arkansas earlier in the week. Yeah, and but Ole Miss should have as well. I mean, let's be honest. They there's no reason to have an 11 point lead. What was it? Midway through the second half and to blow that the way they did. So, I mean, they play good enough defense to stay in these games, don't they? It's just, what do they? where, where do you go from here? Well, I mean, what do you expect do in the, these next two? They do for the most part, but again, as we, as we kind of mentioned, this Isaiah Joe, they, 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 they lax off the guys you can't lax off of. I mean, they, they don't give enough attention to the one player on an opposing – like when a team has an opposing player that requires a ton of attention offensively – they don't seem to give adequate uh, attention, respect, whatever you want to call it to them because they get open far too often. So I don't know where it goes from here. I, I don't see them winning on the road at Florida. I could be wrong. And you know that sets up a really interesting game with LSU next Saturday because if you fall to 0-4 in this league, and it may not matter at this point, but I mean, you're talking about this team could enter a uh, pretty, pretty hard fall. And so this has been uh, – I, I got a couple of texts over the weekend. This has been a little bit shocking to me. Just because I think like the, the sophomores not taking the jump, as I mentioned, has been surprising. And between that and an injury or two, I think it's just had a ripple effect to where this team is really just very limited offensively and the bench is a non-factor. So I think you just are what you are. You need to hope that Tyree and Schuler have really good games offensively and you play well enough defensively to try to steal one of these two next week. Because 0-4 is, I mean, you're sunk at that point. All right, fair enough. So that's about it on the basketball front. That was all the takes I had for you. I do have a recap at supertalk.fm that 
basically had all of that in it in written form, maybe a little more coherent. I don't know. Um, so you can check that out if you want to. Really, last thing we got to get to, I guess, is there is a football game tonight of significant importance. Yeah, just a little bit, even though uh, I, I lose either way. Because, uh, one, back home, the Clemson people are un, I mean, they're insufferable. It, it's miserable to be around. They act like they've been like this forever. That this is where always where Clemson football has been, and they didn't go through decades of average to mediocre football in Dabo Like, they want to pretend that Dabo Sweeney didn't create Clemson football, that he is just an extension of what they already were. It's miserable. Yeah. And, and the, then you have LSU, which is self-explanatory, I believe. I, I have been amused by the uh, – I have been uh, pretty amused by the uh, – People getting upset at Dabo with the little old Clemson thing. Well, my thing is like, and you see this with athletes all the time. I saw it with Richard Sherman over the weekend. Like, they got good because he had that completely unwarranted chip on their shoulder that we're Clemson, we're the underdog. And now they're clearly not the underdog. He doesn't actually believe they're the underdog. But, like, like why is he going to change that? Like, he's clearly creating a narrative to try to keep his board team motivated in a terrible conference. I guess I'm just shocked that people can't see through that because we've talked about it before. But then I continue to see people get upset about him whining, complaining, his stick, all of that. Like, yeah, it is annoying, but, like, you can see through it for what it is, right? Yeah, you can. Um, but that's no fun. We got to complain about people complaining. That's true. That's a good point. But like, it's like <laughs> people just get so pissed off, and I'm like, this guy's not being, uh, not being serious is not the right word, not being genuine. But at the same time, it's not also coming from a malicious place. He's just trying to keep his team motivated. I don't know which way to go in this game. I, I, I don't like LSU has blown everyone out, but Clemson has been so steady and has so much talent, and Trevor Lawrence has never lost a game. What do you think happens? See, I'm taking the five and a half, and I'll do it again today on the show. Uh, as good as LSU's been, I think nobody's really talking about how their defense has given up a lot of points to teams with quarterbacks that have a significantly worse skill set than Trevor Lawrence. Um, but athletic guys have been able to expose them a little bit, and nobody really talks about that. This is the best defense and the best team that LSU will have seen all year long. And if you're giving me five and a half points with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and uh, Justin Ross and T. Higgins and that offense, on top of them being much better defensively than LSU has seen all year long, I'll take five and a half points. Yeah, I'm kind of leaning the same way uh, in the sense that, like, like I, I felt like this was partially set up by LSU getting to steamroll over Oklahoma in the first round. Like, if we had gotten, like... Clemson, Clemson. would have done the same thing, man. It, Exactly, but I think we kind of know what Clemson is based on how they've recruited. And then, like Clemson has been steady, we've known what they are for two to three years. Like I feel like if we'd have seen LSU get tested in the semifinal against an Ohio State, like we would have, or against a Clemson, really, and then had played Ohio State in the title game. Whatever you get, what I'm saying, like LSU not being tested yet again after kind of cruising through a somewhat weak SEC. I mean, you can't really, you got to give them credit for going and drumming Alabama the way they did, but you haven't seen LSU tested is my point. And if we'd have seen them in the semifinal tested against someone, I feel like we'd have a better feel for this game than we do. Cause I don't really have a feel for this at all, but I tend to agree with you. I mean, 
Clemson's been the consistent, I mean, the most consistent program in the country for the last, you know, three, four, five years, however far you want to go back. Like, I, I just, what does a blowout look like? But at the same time, LSU's blown everyone out. Like, my brain is in a pretzel over this. Yeah, it's well, hard, it's hard to figure out. And Clemson hasn't been really tested either. I mean, if you, they haven't been tested one time outside of Ohio State. Right. And you finally saw them get punched in the mouth, and you're like, all right, you know, this team has some guts. I mean, Trevor Lawrence doing what he did in the second half was was nothing short of incredible. And you finally saw them got punched in the mouth. And I guess I just wanted to see what that would have been like with LSU because LSU, this is a newer team. Like, you know, you haven't really seen it before. Where is this game won or lost? I guess it's the secondary. The, the secondary, for sure. Whether or not Clemson's secondary can keep up uh, with Jamar Chase and company. Uh, I would say turnovers. It, because... It, I don't expect a blowout. I guess some people do, and maybe it will be. I, I just don't see Clemson's offense getting shut down and LSU's offense running up and down the field. I just don't see it. Clemson is too talented to be stopped by anybody, let alone an LSU defense that has given up a lot of yards and a lot of points to a lot of teams. So I think turnovers. If uh, Clemson can find a way to force Burrow into a couple of mistakes. They win. If LSU can find a way to force Trevor Lawrence into a couple of mistakes, they win. I know that's that's very cliche, right? Win the turnover battle and you win the game. But these two teams, I think, are so close together that it'll just be who makes more mistakes than the other because I think they're so evenly matched. And nobody – I say nobody. A lot of people aren't giving Clemson enough credit for being as talented and athletic as they are and it'll be a close game that comes down to mistakes. I completely agree. But it, and then the dumb brain side of it that really has nothing to do with football or execution or anything, but if you're just talking about narrative and storyline here, I mean, it's LSU's kind of been the team of destiny all year. You've got Burrow, Heisman, you know, the rise of Coach O. It's in New Orleans. Like, storyline here, Clemson's playing spoiler at they win like they're kind of they're kind of throwing a, a turd in the punch bowl if they win here to where oh, LSU sure. wins it's like the kind of storybook ending in nola you know caps off joe burrow returns a you know i don't know if it's fair to call lsu a sleeping giant but a program that had been down you know back to sec prominence national prominence all of that like that's the storyline here but is clemson gonna ruin it and say actually we're still we're still we're still here to borrow Man. a phrase from the patriots Clemson would ruin so much. Did you read Ross Dellinger's story about Ed Orgeron? Uh, no, I have not. There are uh, Bayou communities all <laughs> in South Louisiana that uh, have been ravaged by uh, the oil industry uh, going down there. And because of the oil industry, their, their uh, waterways have been destroyed, and so they can't take advantage of the fishing industry and, and everybody there is, is losing money and losing land and losing their homes. And the only thing that they've got is their native son, Ed Orgeron coaching the LSU Tigers. And he gets to do it in new Orleans. And th that's the only like glimmer of hope. Some of these people have in the bayous uh, in Southeast Louisiana and Clemson can just ruin all of that. Like it, it makes you feel bad for wanting LSU to lose when you read that story. It'll take you an hour, by the way. It's the longest news story I've ever read in my life. But it'll make you feel bad for wanting LSU to lose because some I, of these people, that's all they've got anymore. 
I'm going to read that before we get on air this afternoon. But I like this Orzeron redemption story. I get that Ole Miss people don't because he was such a maniac here in the early 2000s and they stunk and all of that. But I, I really enjoyed the Ed Orgeron redemption story. I mean, a guy failed about as badly as you can fail at an SEC program, kind of worked his way back up, got a couple of intern digs, still got overlooked at USC, is clearly a completely different human being. But like, and he's embraced who he is. Like, I saw a quote from Dellinger, and it may be in this story, may not, but I saw it floating on the internet that was like, you know, I'd like to thank the people that make fun of me and doubt me. And like, normally I was like, oh, great, here's the cliched you know, middle fingers to the haters quote, but it really wasn't like he was, he said, you know, I'd like to thank people that make fun of the way I talk. Like I like the way I talk. Like people say they can't understand me, but like I conduct a meeting with 30 plus people every Monday morning and I talk to my team, they can understand me. Like, you know, this is who I am. Not really hiding from it. I've enjoyed this Ed Orgeron redemption story. I I don't know about you. Yeah. It's actually been really good, except for there's no way that he doesn't know who Rocky and Ivan Drago are. There's no way. I saw that. You think he was just taken off guard? Because so as someone, I've actually, I've seen bits and pieces of the original Rocky movie. I haven't seen all of them, but I knew the reference. But like, part of me was like, maybe he just hasn't seen these movies and he's caught off guard by the question. That's what I was thinking. Because there's no way he doesn't actually have any idea who they are. Like, even if he was being genuine, someone afterward probably explained to him and he had to have been like, Oh, that's what that is. Yeah, probably so. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he lived in Los Angeles for how long? It's not like he is just a Louisiana boy from the bayou. Like, he's been around now. He, he's cultured a little bit more than uh, people want to tell you he is. I agree. So, I guess the prediction yeah, Clemson, tonight. Plus the five and a half. Boom. All right, I'm going to agree with you. I'm not going on the other side. I just I can't convince myself, even though at the same time, like just rooting interest, like I would like to see LSU cap this off. But if Clemson wins and is dominant again and they're the kings of college football, not really going to bother me either. That's a pretty sweet story. So I'm just going to enjoy this one, but I will go Clemson as well because I don't think you get too many opportunities to take them on an underdog and then brag about how you're right the next day. So that is what I'm going with. I think we hit it about all. We got off to a little later start today, but that was a uh, solid hour. Did we miss anything? Uh, I don't believe so. You've got baseball top 25s coming out. Um, I think Ole Miss was 25th in D1s and what was it, 18 in perfect game. So I think they're going to pitch it really well, don't you? It's just the, the not lack of respect because they're still being ranked, but the questions are where the offensive production is going to come from. Yep, outfield's a complete and total cluster. You don't really know what that's going to look like. And you have a couple guys that are going to have to hit that haven't really hit yet. And I'm I'm looking at, you know, yeah, Tim Elko. Can Kevin Graham's hit before, but like he's going to be relied on heavier. Like a lot of guys that haven't really done it yet throughout the course of an entire season that are going to have to for them to have any sort of success. I think they'll pitch the ball plenty fine. You'll see a couple of uh Freshman pitchers really make an impact. Derek Diamond, I would anticipate, end up being the Sunday starter. So something to look out for there. But how the outfield plays its way out, does Mike keep Justin Bench at his beloved second base? Or do they go to center field? Lots of stuff. We got plenty of time to get into this. I am having flashbacks of Mike Bianco's uh, angry face as we're talking about this. So at least free me of that for another week. All right. 
But um, yeah, we got the baseball does start up this week though. They've got practice this week, so well, uh, that's right around the corner. Which, as you know from putting the show together every day, kind of saves us from a content perspective because things start getting crappy after this, but not in this state. Not at all. It's um, people have to manufacture content elsewhere, and it's going to be amazing. Spring practice, people are going to care about too. So. Um, it's been a while since couple, that was the case here. Oh, you're not kidding, man. The last couple of years, it's like usually that's easy content. Like our friends over in Birmingham, I mean, they, they'll just like open the phones and the text line and, and talk spring practice with people. And uh, we haven't been able to do that because nobody's given a shit. But now that's all people are going to want. So the month of March, I guess into April, is going to be super easy as far as planning this damn show goes. Got a lot going on, and football season on the college front ends tonight. So I'm looking forward to watching this one. It will be uh, certainly a fascinating one. We'll be back at it on Wednesday. I am. Uh, I keep meaning to have Bracken Ray on to talk about the problems with his basketball team because he can uh, explain it better than I can. I might put that out separately tomorrow. I might do it Wednesday. I don't know, but we'll be back at it sometime in the next couple of days. Remind you one more time, go see Greg. University Avenue across from Kroger, LB's is the best. Bacon wrap fillet, uh, fifteen ounce for fifteen, or excuse me, eight ounce for fifteen bucks. The Lane Kiffin special, six ounce uh, bacon wrap fillet for ten bucks. Heath Carter special, plate lunches, daily specials, all kinds of stuff going there. There are sides, sausages. Greg's got it going on in the kitchen back there. LB's best place in the state to get meat. So if you like what you heard today, like and subscribe. We appreciate you guys listening, and we'll be back at it on Wednesday. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.